What's up? It's Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd, joined in the flesh for the first time in a long time by my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Strantz, who also covers the team for The Athletic. Canucks Talk is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. What's going on? Good to see you, man. Your your mic's not on, so just go ahead and uh, killing there, it. There you go. I got I got home at about 10 a.m. or 10 p.m. Excuse me, last night. Yeah. Um, went to bed almost immediately and woke up for my for Halford you. and Bruff hit, and now I'm here. So there you go. No rest for the wicked. One one presumes. Um, yeah. Gonna do back to back games Friday Saturday. Might skip one of them. Might skip one of them That's to fair. to like see my family. It was a long road trip. It was a long and spaced out road trip. I, I no back to backs. Day extra days off. It's been two weeks since we did the show together. It has, yeah. And like in person, right? I mean, obviously we've been doing it the whole time, but, uh, but look, it was a really long road trip. And, and I think about it this way. The Canucks have a seven-gamer later on in this year, uh, the one that takes them through New York and then Buffalo, Pittsburgh, uh, on and on. And that seven-gamer takes place over the same number of games or, or number of days. Mm. Whew, man, I'm going to have to get it together here. The same number of days. This was an ex- exceptionally protracted road trip, in part because it lacked density. And, and you know, I, I think that's what makes the performance in Nashville more impressive, right? The fact that they hit that professional barometer. I mean, you you could hear in Thatcher Demko's voice post game, right? He's like, "Whoo, it's been a long yeah. trip. We've been gone for a while here. Gone, gone for a while, and you know, saved their best effort for last. So good on them. A good look. Obviously, they return to practice with no lineup changes today at Rogers Arena." And they've got a pretty tough back-to-back set coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that Blues game is definitely a trap game. And then a Rangers opponent that's actually good and never easy to shoot on Igor Shosturkin. Nope. So. And that's you're, you're on a back-to-back then, so that's always, even though it's home, it's, yeah, still, yeah. it's, it's still tough. It still ups the difficulty for yeah, you. I mean, you're still going to be the more tired team against a more rested opponent. And so you go into this, this sort of set, and it, it is going to be a tricky one, and just sort of speaks to how quickly the narrative around a team can potentially shift, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, look, you win both those games. We're talking about like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. But, you know, you lose both those games, and it's like, well, this good start's fading away. And the, and the fact is, you know, no matter what happens, first of all, the results are more likely to be somewhere in the middle, but, but so should our take mm. regardless of what happens. This is a really tough back-to-back set coming up. I think we've seen enough from the Canucks now that, you know, and I thought you pointed out astutely on Twitter, like, they're off to a good start now. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Because, again, and I made this point yesterday, we don't have to belabor it, right? But as you even alluded to there, like, even if they lose the next three games, it's not going to be, oh, they got off to a bad start. It's going to be, they couldn't capitalize on a good right. start, right? Like, they couldn't really make it count. That's the job now. They've tech- checked the first box uh, on their to-do list, and now they have to figure out how to sustain it and how to keep it going. Um, we've got a really big show, just, uh, yeah, just too quickly here, because we're going to do the crossover with Donnie and Dolly. Newly minted Hall of Famer Don Taylor 
uh, and Rick Dollywall, also not a Hall of Famer, but on the show, both friends on wow. the show. Wow, what a shot. <laughs> That's coming up in about five minutes here. Hall of Fame friend of the show, Don Taylor. And also Rick Dollywall. And also Rick Dollywall. Uh, and then at one, we're going to have uh, Ryan Johnson, uh, GM of the Abbotsford Canucks, and of course Canucks assistant to the GM on the show. Really looking forward to that conversation, especially to get an update on Vasily Podkolzin, who was involved in a scary incident, had to be stretchered off the ice from Abbotsford's game last night. Now, I did just notice that our, our colleague Ian McIntyre uh, pointed out on Twitter that he saw Vasily Podkolzin walking around outside Rogers Arena in the area where Podkolzin lives earlier today. I know Podkolzin posted on Instagram as well that he's doing well. So sounds like good news. Uh, we'll get more information from Ryan Johnson when, yeah. he, uh, when he joins us. And presumably Rick Tockett will have an update too for the media mm-hmm. uh, when when he meets with them following practice. Um, Pod Colson's been off to a great start. That yeah. didn't didn't like that hit. We'll be interested to see if there's any supplemental discipline coming down uh, to Middleton of the of the Colorado Eagles. Probably should be. That was a dangerous play. And uh, good to see him up and about and and doing well though. That was uh, definitely concerning hour or so when we before we had information. Oh, yeah. Uh, last night. Uh, and I expect we'll get into the Shane Pinto story at some point, even though it's not directly Canucks related. It's just hard to avoid it when you're talking NHL, talking hockey uh, today. It, it's the, the Pinto thing has definitely opened up a can of beans for the NHL. It sure has. And uh, we'll see. Well, I, I, you're, you're really just going to let that pass? Oh, whatever. Uh, I was moving on to the next thing. I was pretty happy with myself. <laughs> okay. Of course you were. Um, we'll see if Rick Tockett is asked about it today. Uh, right. You know? He had a de facto... Two-year leave of yep. absence. Um, so there is a yeah. Canucks tie-in. We'll see if, if you know, Tockett will speak after the team's I would Im- I would imagine he'll be asked today. I would think so, but you never know. The, the, the Pinto thing, just really quickly. Yep. The only thing from, like, the, the league's interest in this transparency should have been King. You know? Because this is now going to loom over both Pinto and the league. A sort mm. of specter of uncertainty that, that I think is far more damaging than whatever actually happened. I, I mean, it's hard to imagine a scenario um, that could have unfolded that would be more damaging to the league's sort of credibility, to the confidence of betters, um, than, than the fact that there's now been a gambling activity-related suspension, the league cl- clarifying that it's not for betting on NHL games, or at least they found no evidence of that. I mean, the whole thing, like, we just don't know what happened. A- and given... You know how hot button the topic of the integrity of the game is mm-hmm. in, in in a world saturated with sports gambling. And, and by the way, I'm a big fan of that. Um, you know, I, I I do think having like clarity is really important. It's like it's like you know in, in conflict of interest situations, right? The appearance of a conflict is sufficient. Yes, it's for just, there to be bad. Yeah. for there to be a conflict, regardless of whether or not the person acted uh, appropriately or not. That's sort of where we where we end up landing here, and I don't think we have to get into it further than that, unless you have anything to add. No, it's just it's I it's a puzzle to try to make the suspension fit the idea that it like it just doesn't lenient for betting on hockey, and they said it wasn't betting on NHL games, but it seems so severe for any other possible infraction, right? And that disconnect, and we don't have the information to square that circle. I think that's going to cause a lot of speculation, to cause a lot of. Uh, curiosity on a topic you don't want curiosity. You don't want mystery. You don't want people speculating no. about this. You want them to know you what's going on. You want certainty and confidence. And, you know, you, you want the NFL model where when you release the gambling suspensions for a number of players, it's like a story that lasts yep. an hour because everyone has faith in, in how scrupulously the league deals with it. I, I think the NHL sort of put, a, put together like a how-to guide on how to confuse the public 
in terms of sort of the reliability of the NHL stance on gambling, and, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, it's. Uh, it, I mean, then and then you add the contractual status, and the whole thing is just like bizarre. Yeah, and messy. T- tough to. Uh, well, tough and, to keep and, track and of. certain exceptions that seem to be being granted to the player. None of it adds up. And that's a far bigger problem, almost certainly, than whatever the infraction was originally. So on the Canucks, they're four and two. They're coming home, and uh, you know, as we just established, they're off officially to a good start. Now the challenge is to sustain it for as long as they can to capitalize on it to make it count. You know, people are accusing me of uh, uh, of planning the parade. I'm saying no, they still have to keep playing well. But this is still job one uh, that they took care of. I know you were very high on the performance, and understandably so. It was a really good performance in Nashville. Just quickly before we get the guys on here, like, was there one thing you saw? Go ahead. From the inbox. Great beans joke. <laughs> See, there you go. The inbox has your back. Great the reviews are in. Great beans joke. <laughs> Five-star review right there. Sorry. Yeah, I mean. Like, what was the one thing that stood out to you that, like, was like, okay, there, this could be not just a good one-off, but a sustainable thing going forward well, for the team? It's the penalty kill. For me, it's the mm. penalty kill. You know, those two late kills against Nashville. The Canucks were deeply unlucky. To not get any calls in that game, I thought they deserved them. Um, but I liked, I, like, I like generally what I've seen from the Canucks penalty kill, especially because that was such a Achilles heel, like a true fatal flaw for this team over the past few years. Um, you know, the Canucks are giving away too many like attempts. The attempt rate isn't good, but there's a lot of underlying data that is pretty good uh, in, in terms of, or at least passable. In, in terms of their penalty killing performance, and they're definitely benefiting from outrageous goaltending, but it's not all that. There's more going on. I kind of believe that this PK is better. All right, it is time. We shifted it by a day to accommodate Francis' travel schedule. You hear the music. It is time for the crossover with Donnie and Dolly, Don Taylor and Rick Dollywall. Uh, you see them every day, 10 to noon on Check TV. And we are very pleased to be joined by the newly minted <laughs> official member of the BC Sports here, here. Hall of Fame, Don Taylor. And he'll start by saying congratulations and thanks for making time for us, uh, despite your new status as a Hall of Famer, Donnie. Yeah, I got my <laughs> scarf here. Do you guys want to see it? Uh, there you go. Why isn't it on? There it is. Why you got to wear it. Always you got to wear it. Yeah, put it on. Okay, Let's I'll, see. I'll throw it on if you insist. On, we do. If you insist, I, I will. And I know you guys have some nice things to say a lot, and I really appreciate it. And thanks to everybody at 650. It's been great. Did you go over, Donnie? I, I Donnie put out came the... to work in a limo this morning. Limo. <laughs> <laughs> Are you tired of this already, Rick? You're tired You're tired of all the congratulations oh, and no. everything? <laughs> no, it can go on forever. He, uh, he deserves it. I, uh, I've known him uh, for 26 years. I said my piece on the show yesterday. Um, and, and I'll say it again. Uh, you can't have longevity in our industry without, you know, you can't. You can't. His creativity is out, uh, out of this world, you know, and uh, his passion, enthusiasm is as good today as it was on his first day, you know. And uh, you, just, you didn't mention I've been laid off like 14 times. That's the most impressive thing is that I've lasted this long despite being laid off 14 times. No, there is nobody that deserves it more than Donnie. And I, my biggest question yesterday uh, was, guys, why, why did it take so long? Uh, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, what's going on here? I think you that was know, a lot like, of people's what's going on here? first and, reaction. And... And and unlike Drance there, uh, Donnie uh, uh, paid his dues, went up to Dawson Creek, you know, worked for uh, three ninety nine an hour, 
Yeah, you know, that's what we did. Donnie and I went up north. We paid our dues. And uh, it all started uh, up north, uh, uh, Donnie, in Dawson Creek. But Were you no in Dawson's Creek? No one is more deserving in this market. Rick, where'd you pay your dues? Uh, it was Dawson Creek, you dumb dumb. It's five, no, yeah, five he, hours he was north. The, he was in the TV series, not the <laughs> city. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're Vanderbeeking me here, hey, Dolly. Hey, Dredd. take this off now. Dawson <laughs> Creek is five hours north of Prince George. You might want to go up there. Northern people are really nice. And then you get to Dawson Creek, and another 45 minutes you get to Fort St. John. That's where I started. Donnie started in Dawson Creek. A lot of good people up north. A lot of good people. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. No, 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 <laughs> no debate here. If you guys want to leave your jobs and go up there, I think you should. Yes. Yes. I, I, I don't uh, know if there's any radio stations left up there. there I, I mean, I mean, Dollywall giving me a swift kick in the Yamaguchis. Uh, just wanna just wanna ask you, Don. I put yeah. out the I put out the call yeah. for people's favorite Don Taylorisms because uh, I was suggesting a couple a, a couple that stuck out to me, uh, including one where Miroslav Shatan scored his thirteenth of the year to end it in overtime, and and your highlight call was Shatan uh, scores his thirteenth to end it. Does that unsettle anybody else? Uh, do you have a favorite when you think back? Is there any that stands out to you? Uh, yeah, there are a couple. I don't know if I can mention them on, on the air, but uh, yeah, is Jeff Kent involved yeah, in one it, of them? Let me just say it was it was yeah it was uh, different times. Let's let's just say this. Okay, uh, uh, I'm working with Rick here, so clearly I uh, you know like uh, I'm I'm a big fan of his and his people. Okay, let me say this. There was a receiver, a high school receiver back in the day who had who's Name I'm going to get to in, in a second. Uh, I, I know this one. Um, I know where this it, is going. I believe it was Abbotsford. It was Abbotsford High, and I don't know what came over me, but I said the quarterback, whoever, whatever his name was, and I apologize for not, uh, for not remembering, he drops back and looks for a man deep, <laughs> and uh, wouldn't you know it? He's got a man deep. Man deep at all. Makes the, makes the catch and, and for, for a touchdown. And now, again, different times. I've met Mandeep since then. Mm. He loved it. That was one of there my favorite go. lines. There you it, go. It came out. It came out of nowhere. That was one of my favorites. And There's that, that creativity again, guys. Yeah. And, okay. You yeah. know, again, that, that's creativity. Different times. Uh, there was the Mighty Ducks incident, which we don't have to get into uh, <laughs> right, right now. But there, there is a whole lot there. You know what? I, you know what I found over the over the years, guys, and I'm sure you guys in your broadcasting years. Uh, years uh, you 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 feel the same way. I think it's not so much you know you know how you how well you prepare, although that's really important in our business. Yeah. It's it's how you do after you screw up, mm. you know, or how you do uh, uh, on the spot, and how you can recover from something that might be considered a, a negative moment. And that that that's something I think I've prided myself on. I think I've done a fairly good job at. And you guys are are, are right there uh, when it comes to that sort of thing. I always like those moments when. When everything's chaotic and you manage to recover, I love that stuff. You got to roll a couple with the more things uh, about Donnie. Uh, uh, entertainment. You guys do a show, we do a show. He understands that it's just not talking about the Canucks twenty four seven, right? It's how do you do a show? Nobody does a show better than him in this market. He understands that, and his knowledge of sports in this city is second to none. He, he was he was rattling off guys. That played in the 1960s okay. in Vancouver. No, right. You're yes. saying I'm old. No. That's fine. I, hey, yeah. Do you think I'm not old? I'm the rocking chair is not far from me. I'll tell you. Listen, uh, 
Uh, but uh, Thomas, his knowledge of of, of uh, Dunk Wilson passed away, Canuck uh, <laughs> uh, goaltender, and Donnie could talk about Dunk Wilson for like 10, 20 minutes. And it's that appreciation of Vancouver sports and all the people, not just like, you know, the 82 Canucks, 85 Lions, the new S Bruins, uh, the soccer bowl. This guy knows it all. I mean, there isn't anybody in Vancouver sports going back to the late 60s. Uh, you know what? Uh, I will say something that I have the advantage mm-hmm. that not everybody has because of where I grew up. I talk a lot about yeah. Burnaby. I lived very close to the Coliseum, mm-hmm. the Peony uh, Grounds and, yeah. and Empire Stadium and the old Peony Forum and the Agrodome and all the sporting events and concerts that went on there. It was a great place to grow up and within a you know, short, short yeah. drive, short walk even uh, to go there. So that was a big advantage. So a lot of those memories were because of where I grew up, yeah. so close to uh, what was the hub of sports in Vancouver, Callister Park, too. Speaking of uh, old Canucks goalies, Donnie, if Casey DeSmith keeps providing solid backup goaltending for this club, can we call him Suitcase DeSmith? Or would that be anathema oh, to the old heads? Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're That's talking, uh, of course, ref- referring to Gary Suitcase Smith, who moved yeah. around a lot in his NHL career and made a real memorable stop in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. He was the Canucks' first ever Hart Trophy candidate huh. in, in 1975. I think Bobby Clark won that year. But uh, he was a really good goaltender, uh, left in a trade under some really interesting circumstances <laughs> that we don't have time to get uh, get into. But maybe, maybe you know the story. Well, hey, Was uh, Dunk Wilson look, the goalie Tanner you couldn't Pierce see? Tanner has been really good. Was that Dunk Wilson the goalie? Well, I think you that was pretty see? much every Canuck goaltender. <laughs> yeah. But there was one for goalie a while there yeah. for a while. There, there was one no, goalie in particular. George, I think it was, it, was George, it was George. It was George Gardner, I believe. That's right, George Gardner. Yeah, his, uh, right. With his, vision, with, his, <laughs> with his vision, what a what a character he was, and he went back to the old uh, Western Hockey League uh, days. <laughs> hey, you know what? Just with the Canucks here, if I can, you know, get off you yeah. know, my career well, for a yeah. second. But Tanner Pearson's been been. Yeah. You know, pretty good. A really good start. What, five points in five games yep. for the Habs? And nobody's really complaining about it in Vancouver because of what you just talked about, Thomas. Case yep. that has been a darn good, and, and they need him. The, well, the team's playing well, too, right? So if, it'd be one thing maybe if they're 2-4 and four yeah, instead yeah, of 4-2, yeah. and two, Seven, then yeah, well, that you, helps. Helps. you yeah. might hear a little bit. But And I think also probably people recognize maybe not. there probably wasn't a road forward here for Tanner Pearson and the team, so... It kind of is what it is, right? But great to see for Tanner Pearson. I think you'll yeah. also hear about it if the Habs are able to get like a second mm. or a first for him at the deadline. I mean, a first would be a mm. haul, but like a second round pick for him at the deadline, then you'll start to hear it, I think. Especially if the Canucks don't continue to capitalize. Yeah, right. Off their off their solid start, right? I mean, yeah, if they if they turn one year of Tanner Pearson or even 50 games of Tanner Pearson into a third and a second, I think you'll start to hear Canucks fans be like, why aren't we doing that? Especially if this team isn't contending, you know, pretty high up the Pacific Division uh, order. What, what did you guys think? I mean, I'm just back off the road. What did you guys think of what you saw from the Canucks, especially in that last game in Nashville where you was impressed as I was? Uh the 17 shots only against. I think that's the first time in eight years they've only allowed 17 on the road, Thomas. Uh, I'll tell you what I like about them right now is their plus uh, goal differential right now is plus eight, their goal differential. Um, that's pretty impressive. And, you know, there's only three teams in their division that have a plus in that. Um, I, I love the fact um, they're playing better defensively. I know there was a couple of games they gave up over 40 shots. There was a couple over 36 but if this coach, and he continues to grind, I love talking, and he grinds away 
uh, Thomas and Jamie on even after wins. We still got to be better. I don't think he will ever let them get complacent. Like, even after victories, yeah, okay, we won, but we still got to do this. I love his teaching. I love uh, the entire coaching staff, and they were teaching these young players. Um, so that's good. The other thing I want to, uh, if you guys don't mind, talk a little bit about is the farm team. Uh, Pod Colson, we know what happened with yep. him last night, right? Yeah, Ian McIntyre just tweeted that uh, he saw him walking at the rink, and he's doing fine, so that's really good. But I, I want to talk about the decision to put Pod Colson in the minors in the first place. A lot of guys, Donnie and I talked about this on the show. A lot of guys get sent to the minors. They get uh, deflated, lose confidence. They pout. They cry. I love the fact he went down there. Five goals, five games. Got an assist on the Baines goal early in the first before he got hurt. Love that. Uh, with his attitude. Attitude makes or breaks more human beings than anything in the world. And that guy's attitude right now, going down there was great because you know a lot of guys go down to Abbotsford. They sulk and they cry. They call their agents and agents got to call the GM. And and we've seen that song and dance many times Mm. before. But this guy goes down. He produces. You know, he's got five goals in five games while six last night. So I'm pretty happy about the development of him. Our Steve Baines, uh, guys, his development. Donnie mentioned he's leading the team in points. Mm Um, this, you know, he leads the Western Hockey League in scoring. First year pro, he had to figure it out and realize that's not my, that's not, I'm not going to lead the American League in scoring. And he, and he learns the, the play without the puck, the defensive side, bottom six. Now he's come in, he's scoring points. That's another positive story down there. So I think a lot of good things are happening on the farm, but I, I, I like what Pod Colson's done, the attitude. I like what Baines has done there as well. I thought you were going to go through the whole roster there. <laughs> ah, what do you want me to? Uh, no, hey, just a couple wingers. Google. They've got Somebody wingers Google coming. Who else is doing bad? They've got wingers coming, and you yeah, know Rick loves his wings. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's a great plug, though, because we've got uh, hey, Ryan Drance, Johnson. Don't get me goring. <laughs> don't get you goring? Yeah. Drance, don't, <laughs> don't get gore me goring. Don't gore yourself. Or I'll light you up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> Uh, we've got Ryan Johnson coming on later, so we're we're going to talk to him about Pod Coles and Baines and a lot of the good things oh. that are going on down there. Would so. you say we have RJ waiting in the wings? Yes, we definitely have RJ <laughs> waiting in the wings. Yeah, Ooh, but, good. Oh. that's good. Your point oh. about talk it though, Rick, because I agree. And I was going to say, I thought one of the most impressive yeah. things about the road trip beyond the play on the ice, it feels like he's pushing all the right buttons now. And you even think about after the Philly yeah. game. Hard on the team, but then he steps back, gives yeah. them some space, and as you pointed out, still sticking on them a little bit even after wins. It feels like he's doing yeah. a really good job getting his message through. Everything he's doing seems to be working right now in terms of how he's talking to his team. Thomas mentioned something earlier that I think was, if the Canucks indeed do have a great season, there, there's a moment in that Nashville game where something they can build on, and, and the road trip and Rick talking, calling them soft and then recovering from yeah. that. And, the, you know, the day of professionalism, the day off. And obviously they, uh, they they managed to recover from a day off in Nashville, which not a lot of NHL players uh, would. But that third period, Thomas, that you talked about and the two late penalties, mm. you know, with their PK, which has been, you know, questioned or in question uh, because of what happened uh, last year. I thought that was a great, just a great moment. Them being able to kill off those uh, two late penalties. In, in the category of something that just would not have happened last year or the yeah. last couple of years. Yep, that's so true. I thought that, that was really important. Maybe that's a moment, a third period that they look back at and, and say, man, that, that was – and I realize Nashville's not going to win the Stanley Cup, but that's a moment they could really build on. I think Nashville's their peer, though, and, and sort of one of the parts of the Canucks yeah. start, too, that's beginning to capture my attention here is, you know, we've seen Seattle regress – 
Uh, they're struggling to score. We've seen the Alberta teams um, tossed into yeah. some early season chaos. Nashville looks like a team that should be Vancouver's equal, and Vancouver just you know handled them like a kid brother, held them at arm's length as they sort of waved their arms about wildly. Um, <laughs> I mean, th- there's a, there's an extent to which it's not just that the Canucks have done well, it's also that some of the teams we thought might be in the running with them have looked um you right. know n- not quite like the the robust competition we expected H- has that changed um your view of them gentlemen are you looking around and sort of handicapping the Canucks against the rest of the Pacific and the West and thinking man uh, you know if they can play like this i kind of like their chances yeah and, and you know you expect Edmonton to come back yeah. in some way especially when McDavid gets it's healthy, but look, like when we reeled off the important things, the keys to a, a good season, you know, one was Thatcher Demko's health, uh, having Rick Tockett for an entire campaign and getting what he's all a bit about. But number one on the list might have been a good start. Yeah. Like for a lot of people, like you get off to a good start, don't start with seven straight losses like they did last year. They're four and two. That was one of the keys. Now they have a three-game homestand. You build on that. How can you not look at it and say it's it, it's positive? It's six games, but I like their schedule. I, the five of the next six are at home. I think there's a lot of winnable games here, and I and you you you, you hope that Edmonton continues to have their problems. Uh, Seattle I, is 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 a surprise to me, guys. Yeah, me too. Seattle had 100 points last year. They've they've really started slow, and 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 their goals for has been an issue. But they did go into Detroit and have that big win the other night. So uh, look at the division right now is looking good for the Canucks, and right now they're second. But look at Vegas, seven and zero. Yeah. Oh, I know. I mean, who would have thought they'd start out? I mean, Thomas, uh, they are the Stanley Cup champs, but not many Stanley Cup champs start the next season as seven and zero. Well, and this remains my my sort of concern, I guess. Right, the only thing that I'm still concerned about because I, I like how the Canucks are moving the puck, I like how they're defending, I like the work ethic uh, that we're seeing so far. But my my big my big picture question remains like. You look at how good the really good teams in this league are and how does this team sure. get there, you know, given their prospect system, given the expiry of Heronic and Pedersen. I mean, Vegas is proof positive of just, like, how good you have to be to compete with the best in the league. I think for the start, though, like, yeah. not just important for the team, but I don't, know, I don't know about you guys, but I've noticed just talking to people, I think it's gone a long way to get fans on board, right? Like, there's a real sense of excitement around this team that's been so hard to yeah. buy into over the last couple of years because you get excited for the start of the season and then it fl- falls flat immediately. And look, it, it, you know, if they go on a losing streak, it could all turn around. But I've noticed people really starting to get on board and just excited to have a team that they feel like they can root for with some confidence in again. Yeah, and uh, you know, look at what the Vancouver Canucks are doing, what the Abbotsford Canucks are doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Lacaramaki is doing yeah. some special things overseas. Scored again uh, the other day, I, I believe. Uh, we landed. Everything seems to be really, really positive for this organization. When, when's the last time we could say that? Yeah, I, you know, honestly, it's I guess maybe you know the Boudreaux bump, and that was about it. But that turned out to be a, a mirage. So yeah, well, it's and even then, I, I wasn't saying seems positive anyway. stuff then. Just want to, just want to. Shockingly, <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't you impressed. You were the by only that. one. I remember that. I wasn't impressed. <laughs> You're the most negative man in the world. Well, I'm, 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 I'm more impressed now than I was then, for what it's worth. But I didn't buy that one. It, it seems more well, real. It seems. More oh, yeah. I, I hate to be a Debbie Downer here, but is that the phrase, Debbie Downer? Yeah, yeah let's yeah. go with that. You nailed okay. it. Saturday night. Anyway, <laughs> S- everyone knows yeah, your okay. references are sick, so bro. I'm still. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, just stop, stop, stop. Anyways, uh, my only concern right now is after Heronic on the right side. Yeah. It's like, how do you, you know, are you going to, how long can you go with Friedman and Myers? Myers has been dropped in the third pair, 13 minutes, last two games. Um, and, and Friedman was in the American Hockey League. I mean, nothing against the guy, but he was in the American Hockey League for another franchise a week ago, and now he's the second pair right guy playing with Cole. I wonder how long the Canucks can go with Friedman and Myers in those two slots uh, or, or try to address uh, some improvement there. Uh, guys, we'll let you go after this because uh, I know you got to get to the parking meter, Rick. But, I mean, is, is Ethan – I know you've said they're still involved in Ethan Bear. They're still talking. Is that – the only plan B, or is there is there a possibility of other help at, at uh, on the oh, right you, side of the blue yeah, line at you, some point? You, uh, Jamie, Jamie, you got to think they're prob- probably looking all over the place. Yeah. But I mean, Ethan Bear, I checked in again last night. They're st- definitely still in on him, but he he doesn't get here till December, right. guys? You know, and that's if everything goes maybe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Donnie, that's if everything goes right in his rehab. Yeah, and you have to figure out the space to sign him. Right, I mean that's that's the other thing here. Well, uh, and sorry, go. That's where Garland, but that's where Garland yeah. comes in. You need that, the savings from that Garland trade to go get Ethan Bear if that's the way they want to go. Well, and remember too, if it's a signing bonus, right? If it's all base level, uh, all base salary, no big deal. But if he ends up getting s- some sort of signing bonus, which you'd think he'd want, given that he's going to take a pay cut from the insurance mm-hmm. payment to sign, right? Um, that'll get prorated. So, for example, if he signed for $2 million with a 50-50 signing bonus salary split um, in mid-November, you're looking at more like $2.2 million that the Canucks would have to clear to fit him yeah. in. Fellas, we'll let you go. Uh, Johnny, right. congratulations again. So well-deserved. And Thank uh, you very much, guys. Thanks for coming on, and we're happy to celebrate it with you. Uh, we'll talk to you guys again next week. All right, that is Donnie, Donnie and Dolly, uh, Don Taylor and Rick Dolly. Well, you can catch them, of course. Uh, every day on Check TV from 10 to noon. And join us in, joining us here every week on The Crossover. Yeah, and, and on that segment, we used our habbies, and then we used our bullets. <laughs> used our bullets. <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled that uh, that Taylor could come on and uh, are, uh, and we could do that. With are him. you an NHL player? Like, do you play Chell? Uh, I used to. Like, not so like much 2000, NHL 2002? Like when he the, was on it? Yeah. That's the best one. Yeah. The The... Um, Kevin Costner baseball ref- movie reference when you get a hat trick. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Right. Producer Dom is very angry at us for Whatever. going long and not breaking. Do, do, we, we, do we have a guest in segment we two? We go Dom? on the crossover. Chill it's out. fine. We're Just paying break. tribute to a legend. <laughs> We're paying tribute to a legend. <laughs> All right. Lots more coming up And also up here. the other time when... I'm just messing with Dom now. <laughs> uh, we'll, uh, we have uh, lots more coming up. And as a reminder, at 1 o'clock, Abbotsford Canucks GM Ryan Johnson will join the show. Uh, so stick with us. It's Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Thank goodness we broke when we did. Getting back just in the nick of time here. (laughs) See, this segment we have to break on time because we've got Ryan Johnson coming Right. You can't be late for Ryan Johnson. No, Ryan Johnson, we want to be a respectable radio show that doesn't keep our guests waiting. Yeah, this... For this segment, though, it's nothing. Yeah. God forbid I keep you guys on the rails. <laughs> How dare you? 
Oh, whatever. We love you, Dumb. Um, okay, speak, love my Speak for yourself. We tolerate no, you, Dumb. we appreciate you, Dumb. <laughs> we appreciate you in, a, in an appropriately respectful... Workplace uh, manner. ...collegial way, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's Canucks Talk here, Sportsnet 650, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Durant, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Yeah, it'll be an abbreviated segment here after the crossover in the first segment and then Ryan Johnson coming up at one. Uh, but lots of text coming in here. And, you know, a lot of people thinking, um, as uh, as Rick Dollywell brought up in the crossover, that, you know, to be kind of the the fly in the ointment or point out the fly in the ointment, yeah, the Canucks in four and two are four and two, but the right-handed defense situation still pressing. You look at the minutes and how they were doled out in Nashville, right? And you had a really heavy burden for Kronick, Hughes, and Cole, Friedman at four, and then Susie and Myers uh, not playing a particularly a significant amount. I think 13 minutes for Myers, 14 around there for Susie. So you do wonder, okay, where is this going? How are they, how are they going to manage things? And, you know, Dollywell brings up like, is the Garland deal the first domino that has to fall for them to address it? But trading Garland, I mean, there's no guarantee. Like that's not a that's not a when, right? It's like that's that's very much an if. How if c- you can trade Connor Garland, if you can trade Connor Garland, and also you trade Connor Garland, and what do you have in terms of reliable uh, players that can generate some offense in your bottom six? I mm-hmm. mean, I mean, it's Niels Hoaglander who the club is kind of reticent to play regularly, mm-hmm. right? I, you know, the first period too. Right, Hoaglander ends up scoring that goal, mm-hmm. and that's good stuff. I thought he played well as the game went along, but the first period, I'm watching it, I'm like, oh man, oh he's going to come back out of the lineup. Like I didn't think he was playing very well at the outset, um, in terms of just a few puck handling decisions, uh, when to get the puck deep, some of his neutral zone details. I, I was really worried for him. Ends up scoring, and, and it looks like he'll be in the lineup again tomorrow. So, you know, like Garland, Hoaglander, those are. Those are the players you have that can drive some offense in, in the bottom six, especially because right now, you know, it's not like the Canucks are going to get offense. It doesn't it doesn't feel like a threat from like Anthony Beauvillier at the moment. No. And this the... feels, feels like Justin Watson on the Chiefs, <laughs> you know, where they're like he's skating hard, like to his credit. Yeah, but yeah, it's just not he hasn't looked like he's going to be driving player. He hasn't looked dangerous. Yeah, no. it's not a work effort, uh, work ethic thing. No, but... no, no, he's not. And he's not. Pl- I'm not criticizing him uh, like. Justin Watson's often open. It but. is, uh, and this text comes in about Anthony Beauvillier saying, why do they only talk about trading Garland for cap space and not Anthony Beauvillier? Is it because Beauvillier is less tradable than Garland? No. Also, do you think they would still be willing to move Besser? His contract is looking a little better this year. No. I mean, I think Besser's clicking so well with JT Miller and Phil DiGiuseppe. That's your best line. You Right now, it has been anyways. You still have to view everything through the framework of, like, this team is trying to compete for a playoff spot. You're not going to do that to your roster at this juncture. No. The A-B point, though, or the Anthony Bovillier point, I mean, he's on an expiring deal. He's definitely more so movable than So he has to be Garland. movable, like, by definition, and it's a lower cap it. Yeah. Their performance almost doesn't matter. It's just that's a more movable contract than Connor Garland. Especially, I mean, if you eat half, you probably have some of – you're a long way toward what you need to get Bear on the roster. Right, if that's the route this ends up taking in mid-November or something like that, um, you know, we'll see. Like, I was pretty critical of the Canucks taking back Beauvillier in the Horvat trade, um, and and I think you're seeing, you know, not 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 that you're seeing why, just that expensive wingers are tough to roster when you have other holes in your lineup, right? Like that, it just is what it is. Yeah, it ends up being. Uh... 
Yeah, and I, I, I do wonder, like, maybe the Bovilli is the plan B, right? If you're, okay, we've tried moving Garland. We really have to do something uh, for our right side of our blue line. Do we bite the bullet? And maybe you, you just have to incentivize another team to take on the contract. I don't know about that, but something like that, right? But, I mean, at some point you do have to be mindful too because the big picture for this team is still how do you get from mm-hmm. here to there? Like, even if even if we're buying the Canucks as like 100-point team, right? And I'm not there yet. I want to be clear. But if I see... 10 more games like the one we saw in Nashville over their next 20, I'm going to start to be there, right? Like that's, Mm -hmm. but so I'm not there yet. I want to be clear. But if we're buying that, if we're buying, this could be a hundred point team, maybe third in the Pacific, like not just competing for a wild card spot, but a real playoff team, right? If, if you're buying that, then you, I do think you have to be mindful of the fact that getting from there to where Vegas and Colorado are, and Carolina and the teams that are really competing for this thing here this year mm-hmm. um, is going to require a lot, right? Like it's still going to require a lot. And and people say stuff like, well, this team's still a top four defenseman away. And it's like, no, they're top pair defenseman away, mm. right? Like they're, they're not, they're not a guy you can play on the, they're not the equivalent of Ian Cole, but right-handed away. They're like another difference maker, on the second pair or on the first pair, pushing Heronic down. Down to the second pair, yeah. And, and I'd, I'd add, like, this team's still not generating much in terms of goals or, or even consistent threat um, in their bottom six. Like, they're, you're probably still another really, really good bottom six forward away um, and, and maybe even a top six power forward away. And, I mean, I think that's the question, right? If you're trading – if you're creating the cap space to bring in a long-term solution, that's one thing, right? Yeah. But if it's, oh, man, we got to create cap space to kind of paper over a problem for the remainder of the year, that's fine. That's fine to have that as a goal, but just you really have to question what you're giving up in order to actually get that cap space, right? And totally. what kind of – the opportunity cost as well. I mean, Bovilli is a fascinating player because he's on an expiring contract, right? And that's – that's a huge deal for a player, right? Like, especially when you've started the way he has in your contract year, like that's a nervous situation to be in. It also creates though, a potential opportunity for the Canucks because he's on an expiring contract. So if he does start to play well, that creates opportunities for you at the trade deadline as well. Right. So like, that's a guy that, I mean, I don't really know where it's going, but there's a lot of different paths the Anthony Beauvillier experience could take this year right because of the fact that he's an expiring contract you know on a team that doesn't necessarily have a ton of them there's Myers and Cole uh as well but uh you know you look at their roles versus Beauvillier's role like he's one of the guys where at certain point you just think okay we we kind of have to move on here or we have to at least explore the market he's a he's a fourth line left winger at the moment for this team he does he have a point I don't think so he definitely hasn't been on the ice for a five-on-five goal four for the team. I don't know if he has a point or not. And he makes four million per. Like there, there there's no market for that. No, you don't. But, you don't. No, you he know, doesn't have don't, a point yet. We don't need to investigate it that closely. Patrick Alvin doesn't need to make a phone call. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and and we're getting a lot of questions in about how. Um. <laughs> sorry, we're getting a bunch of texts in. Like, uh, is there any way to trade Myers and get the six million in cap space? Not easily. No. Right? I, I mean, there's not not a lot of teams that can fit that in. Um, you know, could could you f- do, like, Myers for Zaitsev or something if you and gain um, $1.5 million in cap space if you if you throw in an asset? Maybe. Like that. But that's the sort of – it doesn't make you better necessarily. 
right? You're, you're, well, that's the thing. That's you're, you're still you're still one defense, a right shot defenseman short. Like that's a right that's a like for like trade. But you're trying totally. to add a surplus on top of Myers right now. You're 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 better off, frankly, hoping that Myers can find his game. Right, like you're you're far mm. better off hoping that Myers can get out of whatever funk he's been in here. Um, also, I like the Drance really going out on a ledge, jumping on the wagon of a team with a, that's at a seventy percent win win clip, uh, which they're not, by the way, sixty seven percent. Nice math, bud. But the other thing is, I, I I did I jump on the wagon? I think he's saying maybe you would. You were saying you would if they keep playing like that, Na- the Nashville game. I think he's saying it would be a hypothetical. No, if I'm I, reading the text I, right, I, I don't. Know. I think you're wrong. I think he's saying I'm jumping on the wagon. I'm saying if I see a lot more performances like that over the over the stretch, you know, as we get toward 30 games, right? I mean, w- one thing I like to do at about 10 games is do like a sustainability check, right? Where mm. where I sort mm-hmm. of look through. But you know, if if we want to just like do that just a little bit early and and see some trends, like I still see a team that's getting outshot by too great a margin here. Right. I mean, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the San Jose Sharks, the Chicago Blackhawks and the St. Louis Blues. Those are the only teams that are getting outshot by a wider margin than the Canucks are at five on five in the early going this season. Um, You know, Vancouver shooting or converting on 13.2 percent of their shots, five on five, meaning that opposing goaltenders have an 880 save percentage against them. 1980s stuff. Um, Hey, that could that could last. I mean, we saw Seattle maintain an outrageous shooting clip over a full season. Canucks have the finishing talent where you expect them to be more opportunistic than most, but that's pretty high. And then likewise, in like we've seen from Casey DeSmith, we've seen from Thatcher Demko, like these goalies are impregnable at five on five mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, so, you know, there's a lot that I still need to see from this team in terms of their ability to consistently generate offense and consistently drive play before I'm, on the bandwagon, uh, you know, the that- text, the text are clarified that I was right, by the way. Oh, okay. Well, that's fair enough. Um, <laughs> just wanted to get that. In I, I, I want to say though, that's bad process. Good outcome. You, you, oh, sure. The worst. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. I, I see. I think I read it textually. Correct. Oh, okay. Yeah. But You're I'm glad, I'm spirit. glad that I'm glad that the two, that you and this anonymous texter have the, um, are on the same wavelength. You know, this sort of comes back to where, a, a, a thing that I've been sort of mindful of talking about is I still worry a little bit about Vancouver's ability to generate offense mm-hmm. five on five. I know, like, I'm actually buying that this team's far better defensively than they have been. Their best moments this season have been defensive. Yeah, I, I agree. Think of the second period against Florida and the the way they closed out the game against Nashville. Yeah. Like, the thing that stood out, you, even if you look at their rate of offensive generation in the Nashville game, if that, like, if you prorated that over a whole season, it wouldn't be that impressive. But what they did defensively was really, really impressive. It was the same thing in the Florida second period. That was a great period for them, not because they looked incredibly dangerous offensively, but because of how they stymied a really talented Florida team. Like, out again, outside of the 8-1 explosion against Edmonton, which counts. you got to take that into consideration and everything. But since then, their best moments have been like, man, they're not giving this other team anything no, right now. That's I, been their highest highs well, so far. And I, what I liked about the Nashville and Florida games combined was their ability to break the puck out with like real competence, right? You combine that with what we're seeing on the penalty kill, and you've gone an awfully long way toward addressing two of this team's biggest sort of Achilles heels, fatal flaws uh, that have sunk them in previous years. 
to to continue with the sustainability check though like the power play looks good that's something we expected right we expected their power play to look really good it has uh but they're also top seven in the league in shooting percentage there shooting about 20 mm-hmm. percent and and while i'm buying the improvement on the pk too uh this team's also 12th you know eight eight four save percentage for uh shorthanded which also you know ranks well in the top half of the league so you know there are real reasons bona fide reasons to look at this team and say hey look they look meaningfully improved and i'm there in terms of hey this team's a watch for me in that things are going well enough and some of this seems bona fide enough that i'm open-minded to the fact that this team might be better um than i expected which is you know i expected the fringe playoff team maybe they're a bona fide playoff team Mm. i'm open to that possibility their performance through six games has sort of gotten me to the point where i'm at least going to be looking for that over the next 24 before we start to like really talk about this team's true talent level with a bit more certainty. But I also think it's worth noting that a lot of our perceptions and a lot of the results, the fact that this team's got the 70% win clip, which, you know, the texter who you, whose mind you seem able to read uh, incorrectly noted. good at picking up on nuance. What can I say? (laughs) Nuance. That wasn't even there. It wasn't even subtext. They use the word if, if implies a hypothetical. Anyway, um, a lot of that, though, is at least in part the product of the fact that this team has run downhill in terms mm. of the environment, the bounces that they're getting their way uh, to this point in the campaign. That's that's not going to last. And, and for me, the real test for this team is going to come when they are abandoned by the hockey gods for a stretch. Yeah. And... What success looks like over over that stretch of three weeks or two weeks where the bounces all start going your way and injuries pile up and bad calls, which they've dealt with a little bit. Um, but like when things start going going against you is not can they be like eight oh and two over right. that stretch? Because if you can do that, you're elite, elite, elite. But it's can they go four, five, and one? Can they go and just like hold on? Can they avoid that divot? that this group has hit almost every season where things snowball against them and they can't find a baseline level, right? That baseline level of control that allows you to survive um, the slings and arrows of outrageous hockey fortune. What I liked about that Nashville game was if you're performing like that, then even if you don't get the Mikheyev softy that opened the scoring or the mm. or the straight-up EA NHL poke check goal that DiGiuseppe put past Saros... Like, you're going to be in that game because of your form, because of your overall form. If this team's playing like that, yeah, then then you're going to start to hear me talk a little bit more differently, a little bit more confidently about their ability moving forward. Uh, And I think the key is it's so much easier to, I think, make those improvements and, and withstand things when you're not digging out of a hole already, right? Like two weeks into the season, when you have a little bit, just a little bit of breathing room. Not that they can rest on their laurels or anything like that, right now but just the fact that uh again you're not like you're, you're not in a hole right you haven't put yourself behind the eight ball right out of the season and you know i know rick jollywell was talking about it earlier and it's something i've noticed as well that rick talkett has been really disciplined about okay even after wins you know recognizing the positives from the team but also focusing on what they still need to do right. better and i think that's a really positive sign right that they're trying to they're trying to actually nail the no peaks no valleys thing as as angry as rick tockett was after the philly game you heard from the players they took a very different tone like hey we're going to bounce back from this they avoided the valley there it didn't snowball into it a didn't. disastrous road trip and i think they're trying to avoid getting too high 
uh, now as well. Like that to me is it, it gives cause for cautious optimism. I love Demko too after the Nashville game, being like, "I told you, I told you after the Philly game, we were, you know this was different." Uh, I loved that. Like I just liked that heat check moment from Vancouver's starter who's yeah. playing with swagger, carrying himself with swagger. Uh, you know, if that keeps going. And part of the leadership group, right? Yeah. For him to say that, I think that's meaningful. Like, hey, yeah, we told you guys, and we came out and, pro- and yep. proved it. And that's something we haven't seen from the team. And it, it, I think it matters a lot it that does. they were capable uh, of doing that. We will uh, take a break here perfectly on time, as promised, because up next, uh, he is the assistant to the GM for the Vancouver Canucks and, of course, the GM for the Abbotsford Canucks, Ryan Johnson, up next here, Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Big Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz here with you. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. I and mean, we are now very pleased to be joined on the phone by our next guest. He is uh, assistant to the GM for the Vancouver Canucks and the general manager of the Abbotsford Canucks. He is Ryan Johnson. Ryan, thank you very much for making time for us. How are you? I'm doing fine, thanks. Thanks for having me on. That's our pleasure. And, you know, we'll we'll start. I know a lot of uh, fans and just everyone watching very concerned for uh, to see what unfolded with Vasily Podkolzin in the game last night. I know there's been some positive updates from Podkolzin today. Do you have an update to share with us about uh, his condition and, and his status? Yeah, I mean, all, all things considered, he's uh, he's doing, you know, well i would say um obviously it's still you know you're within a 24-hour period and making sure on everything but he has uh you know popped out of it uh he was alert even you know and uh having regular conversation with him you know even 90 minutes post uh, the injury last night so uh encouraging and you're just happy uh you know that he's it's such an unfortunate incident but to the that as of now he's uh, responded and actually feeling pretty decent. That's really great to hear, and, and hopefully, as you said, it is early, but hopefully that encur- those encouraging signs uh, continue. And you know, we're glad to hear that we we would have been talking about Vasily Podkolzin with you anyways. So, you know, one off to a really great start with five goals, seven points in the in the first six games for Abbotsford, and you know, of course, he's a, a player of interest for Canucks fans thought there might be a chance for him to start on the NHL roster, ends up going to Abbotsford. How difficult was that decision to to send him to Abbotsford to begin the season? And what? how did you uh, talk through the decision with uh, Vasily Podkolzin and his camp? Well, I think obviously it's long-term versus short-term. And, and uh, it's been a little bit of a, a challenging time for him with different uh, – you know, for different reasons. And last year uh, felt he was really making some momentum and uh, with his game and then the, the wrist injury that prevented him from, you know, playing in the playoffs and the end of the season here in, in Vancouver and playing in the playoffs for, for Abbotsford. But I think when you look long-term of it, 
and how much we appreciate and value Vasily, uh, but making sure we get to uh, the the bottom of what we think his game could be and, mm. and felt like him going to Abbotsford and experiencing what he he was prior to, to the injury last night. Um, I think, you know, we, we want to see him play on his toes. We want to see him play with, with uh, speed and, and not in the let me just do everything right and play safe and not make mistakes. We almost wanted to see him play a little bit reckless and be a bull in a china shop and, and disrupt with his strength and, and his ability to skate when he decides uh, when he decides to skate to skate and even you see the uh, you know I thought a, a couple positives where his overtime goal the other night drives wide puts that leg out drives to the far post and scores the overtime goal and even uh, seeing him play the flank on the power play uh, and almost you see a little bit of a light going off of like, Hey, I, I can be the guy here and blasting away, <laughs> scored a couple goals on the weekend, beating mm. a very good goaltender clean with, with what we've said for a while now, when he uses it, he's got one of the hardest shots around. So we're making really good strides and we will continue with them and just trying to make sure um, that we get to the ceiling with pods. And we think there's so much more, there and felt that him playing a lot, playing important moments, responsible moments defensively and offensively in Abbotsford was a great step for him moving forward. RJ, what do you learn about a player as as the GM of the American League team from how they respond to being demoted? Well, it, it's a massive challenge. Like, let's not mm-hmm. let, let's not uh, say that it's easy. And we went through it with. Uh, Hoglander last year and, and the the understanding of okay this is why I'm here this is what I need to work on let me get out of my own way here and, and not have my disappointment get in the way of me improving and mm. you know Hogs went through it last year I think the first seven to ten days were um, accepting it was hard and I I get it but um, you know, it's up to our staff and our group there to say, look, you know, as we always do is let's, let's find a solution, get you uh, thinking about the things that uh, we need you to think about and focus in on a daily basis to get yourself back to the NHL and not just back there, but back there to stay. Mm. I think once Hog, once Hoggy last year bought into um bought into the the message and the work rate and all those little things, the managing the puck, his game took off and you saw him in the playoffs last year in Abbotsford on a lot of nights was the best player on the ice. Um, so it, it, it is, it, it's not easy by any means, but when the player buys into understanding the long-term benefit it will have in their career. Uh, and we've got so many great resources there from our coaching staff to development group, our off ice, our trainers, and I would say the environment of the other players and even our AHL players that come to work every day uh, with a purpose that uh, once the guys get on board with it, it usually start to take off. And you see guys like, this is always a tough time of year mm-hmm. for whether a Pod Colson or an Almond or guys that, you know, we're hoping to make the team. You've got to be cognizant of it 
and not something that you can hide behind uh, the elephant in the room that they're disappointed. But now as a group say, okay, now what are we going to do about it? Let's be solution based and get you back to where you want to be. And, and we've got a lot of guys uh, very early that have gotten on board with that. Ryan, this is a different looking Abbotsford Canucks roster than in the team's first two years of existence in that it, it seems to me like it's it's a younger group, right? There's there's fewer I mean you've you've got your Sheldon Dries and your and your Christian Willanin, but there's fewer of those, you know, like really experienced AHL vets um up and down the lineup. And we're seeing this team have success, but we're also seeing perhaps uh the team get outshot a little bit more frequently than we have uh, you know, last year, for example, when the team was really quite a wagon in terms of controlling play. Um how do you view and how does Jeremy view and, and the two of you collectively sort of view what the expectations are for this group, given its sort of different look from some of the Abbotsford Canucks teams we've seen previously? Well, yeah, you're right. And, and very clearly, uh, my message to people over the last couple of years is we're going to get younger. Mm-hmm. Intentionally, we're going to get younger. Um, and uh, watching this group very early and our objective going into the season is is very clear with these guys that that every day is we are going to come with a purpose and and we know being that young we're going to have a lot of things we're going to have to work on on a daily basis and focus on uh i the message was very clearly that um very much that that iron will sharpen iron. Like we are going to push each other every day in practice. When you've got a young group, the accountability they have to each other to push each other to get better. Uh, we know that that perfect every night, but I think very early, um, the the encouraging part, and I knew right from the get go of having this group together that that our hunger, that our compete, that our will and our desire to get better was never going to be in question. We were going to make mistakes and we're going to learn from them. We're very excited about this group, uh, but it's very clear from our young goaltending to our D to our forwards that what we need to do to get better as individuals. And, and we don't blanket approach this team. I mean, every player has a different focus to what they need to do to get better as individuals. And my challenge to them is always, if you guys are pushing each other to get better and we've got resources to help you get better individually every day, and then we've got a structure in place from a very good coaching staff and a development support group of how we want to play, we think we can go through some growing pains with a very young group, but still have an opportunity to compete and have success. And I think that is a staple of what this group is made of. We're not trying to be, per- we're, we're not focusing on necessarily wins and losses. We're focusing mm-hmm. on each of these guys getting better from week to week and then having a, a very good structure similarly to the one we have here in Vancouver that, we think if we deliver in all those measurables, we'll still have an opportunity to win some hockey games. Uh, so it's a very, it's it's a blended approach, I would say. 
you know, you mentioned it there, Ryan, having the same structure between the Vancouver Canucks and the Abbotsford Canucks. And I know alignment between the front office and the coaching staff in Vancouver, uh, that's, you know, I know the organization is really happy to have that now. What does that alignment mean in practice for the Abbotsford players to have the entire organization, you know, on the same page now? Well, the message is very clear and, and the message is not, uh, it's not uh, differentiated between teams. So our players are very aware that what Jeremy and our coaching staff there is talking about, whether it's our D zone or how we protecting the front of the net, how we want to attack, how our entries, that it is, is an organizational conversation. So, you know, the talk and Jeremy, uh, spending a lot of time in camp, the the messaging, the language used. Uh, there's a ton of symmetry right now so that when guys, uh, and we will see it, guys get the opportunity to come up, it is not a, okay, how are we playing here? There's a very clear understanding of uh, when they do get the, the opportunity, they know exactly what the expectation is and, and what details are going to be valuable. To, to help our team up here in Vancouver continue to win hockey games. One player uh, specifically I, I wanted to ask you about as well is Arshdeep Baines, who's had a, a great scoring start to the season, nine points in six games. And that was a player who got some uh, a long look from the coaching staff at training camp for the NHL as well. What what have you seen in Arshdeep uh, Baines' development from last year coming then coming into training camp and early in the season this year in the AHL? Well, he's much, uh, much stronger. He's uh, had a huge off season, which we we knew he was going to have, and and uh, um, something we talked about even all last year as he progressed. Our still our focus was on what this off season was going to look like and how it would position him. Um, his mentality of understanding his identity of a player and what will translate to now the success he's having, uh, but how he's having it and the wall play uh, physicality, the compete down low, the below the tops of the circles is very different. And I've said this a hundred times, but it's very different from what got him success at the junior level, which is a credit to Bainesy and, and how he has made those adjustments and still able to produce in a completely different way than he was in red deer in junior hockey, uh, which a lot of young pros, have a problem with so uh he's had a great start and and even to that uh even the last three games i think you know Bainsey would admit he's maybe gotten a, away from some of those details but yet he's still managing to contribute and and produce and which is a which is a huge positive and his first two games in in laval i thought was as good a hockey as i i had seen out of a a young player. Uh, and so we're, again, we don't expect perfection and guys to play, uh, every day when you're a young group, you're, you're going to go, you're going to have guys have good nights and off nights as we get better. Those off nights won't be, Oh my gosh, he was a two out of 10. They'll be, maybe they're a seven and, but yet they're great night. We get them more consistent. And so he's, he, you know, I give so much credit, to, to the player and it's such a white page for me to share with others of, of a guy that is managing to produce and remember he's a second year pro which is usually a still a massive part of their adjustment period um and he has made the decision to i'm gonna i'm gonna find a way to be 
the same player yet so very different. And he's given himself a chance to, to get an opportunity here in the NHL down the line. Ryan, I know that one thing Archdeep did last year that, you know, really sort of established him as um, a player who really took his development seriously and sort of paved the way for his, for what he did in the second half and, and over the summer was, you know, spend that time in the gym, focus more on, on sort of leveling up physically so that he could deliver on the ice a little bit later in the year, sort of treat it like a, a marathon more than a sprint. Um, is that something you're looking at or, or that you're seeing already from some of Vancouver's first-year players, the first-year pros, whether it's a Josh Bloom or a Aiden McDonough or, a, or an Akito Hirose who's sort of come down and, and maybe is off to like a, a less eye-popping statistical start, but but perhaps are, are there reasons for behind the scenes that um, that, that sort of would explain that in, in similar fashion to what we saw from Archdeep last fall? Well, I think, yeah, you – your first year pro is is very often yeah. a bit of a an identity <laughs> crisis and where where you know where do i fit in and and a lot of a lot of players come from a place where they were the guy and the mm. go-to guy and and so okay how do i how do i find uh you got a lot going on a lot of guys that first time out living on their own and there's so much change uh away from the ice and then compact that with on the ice and where do where do I fit in as a first year okay do I understand maybe I've got to play a different role but yet um, uh, still play with confidence and still play you know it's a it's a massive adjustment and and uh, each player is different each transition is different and and that's why you know it's important that we have these early conversations and the support group and to to make sure I, I always call the American Hockey League for usually for first year players is a Christmas league. You you kind of you, you're slowly figuring things out. You're figuring out the league, a transition on and off the ice, and then mm-hmm. usually you get into the end of December and you come back in the new year and it's like something clicks. And uh, some guys figure it out sooner than others, but that's that is a normal expectation in in my opinion. So, um, but still even with the less maybe eye popping or where people pay attention to the statistics side of it, we've seen some great uh, things from, from all our guys and, and uh, to have as of last night, you know, six first year pro guys in your lineup, even though Mm -hmm. some of them had some taste of the playoffs last year, there's not a lot of teams in the American league that, that have two or three, um, and so to be able to mix these guys in with some of our second-year pros and the amount of players that we have 24 and under, and like I said, to have a mentality of how we're approaching the professionalism every day that we're showing up at the facility at, guys are getting better week to week, and be able to have uh, an environment and a structure where you're, you're finding some success. I mean, that is a, a perfect mix of, of development, in my opinion. Uh, Danila Klimovich, um, I, I believe he's missed a couple games because of injury. Was was uh, I believe a healthy scratch last Friday? I, I'll I'll let you correct me uh, if if I've got that wrong. Um, where's he Where's he at health wise, and where's he at development wise, Ryan? Yeah, he's dealing with um, a, a bit of an injury that we just want to make sure that he gets to a hundred percent and not something that he's you know at this point is is trying to play through something, especially early in a season. 
Um, and uh, Danila, you know, has, has come so far uh, over the last couple of years and had a, a very good off season again of continuing to change his young body still at only 20 years old. Um, and, and we, we want to make sure that we are not, we are focused with Danila on uh, making sure of the, the management of the game, the wall play, the, the puck decisions at the offensive blue line, that that becomes a focus because at the end of the day, again, when we're having org- organization conversation, those are the details of value that uh, when players get an opportunity in the NHL that have to be, they have to be box check number one. And so uh, that that is, and will continue to be the focus with Danila and allowing him to use his uh, great tools that he has from his size to his puck protection to his shot, but make sure that we're not sacrificing the other parts of the game and that he is allowing himself to get to the bottom of the circles the right way without um, sacrificing, you know, plays through the middle of the ice or turnover or uh, plays at the offensive blue line. But again, we're talking about a 20-year-old that uh, has, has done some great things in this league already. And uh, I've said this with with all our group. We don't expect them to be on their A game every day, but we do have a standard and, and accountability at times we're going to have with all these guys to make sure that what, what Rick Tockett expects in those details, that, that is something that we're making sure that these guys are, are having first and foremost. Ryan, just before we let you go, I did want to ask about uh, Atu Ratu as well. Another player still very young for the American League, you know, won't turn 21 for another couple of weeks here, and a, a guy who's already had a taste of NHL action as well. What what are going to be the keys for, for Ratu and his development this year? What are you going to be watching for to see how his game progresses? Well, he was another guy that we, we knew needed to have a big offseason. He he dealt with some uh, some just minor nagging stuff uh, last year and towards the end of last year that I think uh, uh, really just slowed him a little bit. He had a, he had a great off season, came in here confident, prepared. Um, uh, I love the change in the confidences. I think in the way he's prepared, he's uh, hunting pucks, the competitiveness, the puck battles and, I think it's you even see uh, last night um, giving him an opportunity to use his ability to see the ice and make plays and uh, be a threat offensively. And so it's been a really good start for Atu uh, and something we'll just continue to, to build on. He's, he's going to be in all situations type uh, and especially penalty killing or being able to, you've seen his line matching up against top lines and, and not just being able to um, to have success, but to, to be creating offense and, and making good players have to play in their own zone because of his compete and competitiveness. And he's it's going to be an exciting year for uh, for a guy like that. Like I said, he's come back with kind of a new look uh, uh, on on his approach because he's healthy, he's in better shape, and so we're excited about him. That's for sure. Ryan, really appreciate the time. Very generous with your time, as always. Thanks for the update on Vasily Podkolz, and we all hope for uh, for the more good news from him uh, soon. And uh, thanks very much for your time. Awesome. Okay, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Of course, that is Ryan Johnson, the uh, assistant to the GM for the Canucks and the general manager 
of the Abbotsford Canucks, getting us uh, filled in on a lot of the things happening with the Abbotsford Canucks. No shortage of interesting players uh, to be asking about down there, right? And, you know, obviously with the facility Pod Colson situation, top of mind uh, because of him leaving the game on the stretcher last night. Great to hear the update there. As I said to Ryan, you know, he would have been top of mind anyways when we are talking to Ryan Johnson because yes. of him getting sent down nice and then how, well. how he's responded yeah. as well, right? And like, well. that's exactly what you want to see. You don't want to see any, like, moping or anything like that. Just go down there and show why you were, uh, why you were drafted where you were. Go score some goals, and he's done that. Well, and, I mean, for him it's all – so clearly confidence yep you know so uh, clearly I mean you could see from that power move goal that he scored earlier the, uh, in the weekend before the injury that he was beginning to feel it um, does that translate though to the NHL right like does mm. does he still have a confidence hurdle at the NHL level is going to be the big question uh, once he gets healthy right because first he's got to get healthy and yep. we wish him nothing but the best it was a really terrifying um, injury to sustain yesterday, and it's great to hear Ryan say that he was responsive within 90 minutes and and feeling better today. Although obviously the club will closely monitor mm-hmm. it. Um, but you know, look, Pod Colson's a really good player and and a really like a really good prospect. I think he's a really good player, and I'm not surprised that his attitude was this way, right? Like proactive, professional, extremely hardworking. Y- y- no one's ever accused Pod Colson of anything of less than it. that. No, yeah, no, you've always you've always heard that he, about he, him, right? He, you, you, and and more like glowing reports about this guy's maturity off the ice. Uh, always like to bet on a guy like that. I thought it was fascinating that uh, Ryan Johnson used the same word "reckless" that we've heard Rick Talkett yeah. use in conjunction. No surprise, obviously. There's communication and there's alignment and everything, but. Yeah, can you can you learn to be reckless at the AHL level and then keep up that level of recklessness <laughs> at the NHL well, and, level? And, and that that sort of remains where I'm a little bit, you know, whereas like Amon, it's like win draws yeah. and create a little bit more offense and you've got a and you've got a job for life with your size and speed and details, right? But um, you know, those are things I think you can work on. The the NHL reps, like I still I still think Pod Colson, you know, needs those if he's gonna be the player that I think we all think he can be. Uh, we will take a break. We'll hear from Rick Tockett in the final segment. Uh, last segment of the show coming up here. It is Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Do you want me to think that you're wild? Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, live from the Kintech Studio. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. And uh, thanks again to Ryan Johnson for joining us in the previous segment. Lots of great information on uh, the Abbotsford Canucks and some of the individual players as well. Vasily Podkols and Arshdeep Baines, Atu Ratu among them as uh, Abbotsford gets off to uh, a matching 4-2 and two start. Oh, well, yes, one of the losses uh, was in o- overtime, actually. So 4-1-1 one, and one start for the Abbotsford Canucks. Uh, speaking of 4-2 and two starts, the Vancouver Canucks back home after the road trip. They play tomorrow against the Blues, then Saturday against the Rangers. They were on the ice at practice today. And uh, Rick Tockett with a lot to say after the team returned home from that road trip. So uh, here is the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks. 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, just the road trip, the way it kind of transpired, you know, uh, how we chipped away at our game, got better as the, the road trip went on. Um, you, know, you, you feel good about yourself. I, I thought it was one of our, you know, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. It was one of our best practices. I thought the energy level was great. So, um, love the leadership group. I think they knew that they wanted to have an energized practice going into back-to-back, you know, the old, oh, you're coming off the road type of stuff. You know, we, we uh, I think that's a mental thing, you know, after a long road trip. So I think the, the players really, uh, you know, the leadership group really today, I thought they really practiced hard today, which is a good sign. The way you've managed the goaltending thus far, yeah. you've got Casey into a couple of games. Uh, what is about what you've seen from him, the way he's played, that has that trust level for you that you're already willing to go to him in games where you don't necessarily need to, you haven't had back-to-backs yet? Or yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people in Pittsburgh, and so I talked to Mike Sullivan, what kind of guy he is, but I, I, from, for, I didn't know him that well because I wasn't in Pittsburgh when he was there. Um, what I liked is training camp, like even his exhibition games, um, just solid. Um, really a, a, a smile on his face type of guy. Like he's really brought a lot of, I don't know, confidence in the sense that he's just a, he's a nice guy, right? And um, he takes shots after practice. He knows his role, but he also he knows that he, you know he wants to win. And um, I think he's 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 instilled confidence, <clears throat> not just for the team, but even like Demmer. Like Demmer has confidence in him too. That you know. Denver's like, oh man, I got to play every game type of thing. He's like, hey, I got a, I got a, a mate here who can play really well for us too. I like that too. How important is that for the long term success of the group that you do have that second option that you trust that everybody seems to trust? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you know, I think we all talked about, it, you know, we can't overplay Demmer. It's just not prudent. I, I think in the league, any team, it's hard to have goalies play sixty games um, and also be successful in the playoffs. You know. Um, like I said, look at Vegas last year. You know, they had three goalies. I think they played and <clears throat> they survived. So I think, you know, we're in a situation where we're comfortable with our goaltending. I think we got, you know, I'm biased, but I think we got two of the best goalies in the league. With Quinn Hughes' uh, 25 minutes of ice, I mean, that's obviously a big thing. Do you mind that for him, or do you want him, do you want to take that down, or can you handle it? Well, I think the schedule has been, you know, we've had two days off a couple of times, so I think you're okay. But, you know, him and, you know, Philip Peronik's been playing a ton, 26, 27 minutes. So I... I'm not sure you can redline it every game like that. Um, but the way the schedule is, the way they've been, they've been taking it and their, their level of play, uh, it's hard not to get them out there. Um, but we're going to have to get some minutes off some of the other guys for sure. I mean, Is that a reflection of them just being a pair right now, the fact that they're yeah. the two main guys playing <clears throat> Yeah, and it just obviously the level of play, uh, situational hockey. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, them playing that minutes is uh, – I mean, for now, I like it, but I, 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 obviously we, we can't do it all year. It's, it's pretty tough. Do you think since he skates so effortlessly, that 25 yeah. for him is, is different than 25 yeah. for another guy? Can, you, know, you, saw, you, know, you play with Paul Coffey, those kind of guys. Yeah. Can they do that? that yeah, I think for them, the next level is they, they, they just got to make sure some, get, some shifts they got to hit a single and they can't hit home runs. Like, you know, sometimes, you know, just giving the puck or dumping it in, wait, you know, wait for another shift. Uh, you know, sometimes um, they're so talented and they're so good, I think they want to make something happen every shift, and that's taxing. You know, um, so there's some times where I'd like them to just give the puck to the first guy and let them advance the puck instead of them. Um, but they do a great job. I, I just think they've got to manage their minutes a little bit as much as the coaches. They have to also. Our first chance to talk to you here in town for a while. Yeah. What's the update on Teddy Bluger? Yeah, so Teddy had uh, another scan, and uh, it's on schedule. 
uh, he's looking really good. I think he's going to start to skate here very soon. Um, like soon. I, I don't know whether it's tomorrow, but it's going to be very soon. Would you still say week to week, though, in terms of when you might get him back in the lineup? Yeah, because he's going to need, you know, he's going to need some skates. You know, um, you know, when things completely healed, you know, I'm sure if if this was a playoffs, he could play after a couple of skates. But you know, we're not going to do that. He's got to skate. You know, he's got to be. There's some protocols we have for guys to skate where they're, you know, he's you know he's working out hard, but it's obviously on the ice is a lot different than on, a, on in the gym. Not sure if you saw the play with Buck Colson in Abbotsford last yeah. night, but obviously a scary situation, and seems like he's he's come out of it all right at least for the moment. How how encouraging is that, and, and frightening to see? Something yeah, I was like just that. talking to RJ. He was telling me about uh, he feels great today. You know, um, but saying that he's not going to go on the road trip. He's you know he's off to a great start, um, but um, thank God it's not serious, and uh, he, he's feeling he's feeling actually he, he actually told RJ I feel great today, so hopefully it's not that bad. Yeah, yeah, we, we we did a little pre-scout today. Yeah, there's uh, you know I know Craig Ruby, they're a hard-working team, um, and uh, they're like us. You know, they're trying to find their way. You know, they're a team identity. Um, they they work hard, and they got uh, they got some guys that can put the puck in the net. Are you you guys have obviously scored a lot of goals? The goals have not necessarily been a problem. But are you happy with how your team's sort of structured yeah. offensively right now? Yeah, I, I liked uh, <clears throat> the national the first half. I, I saw some stuff. You know, we opened up the playbook on some stuff. We're trying to, you know, we want to keep more puck possession. I thought a couple times on the road trip we're a little bit one and done, <clears throat> and we kind of fixed a little thing uh, about that. But I think um, a little more activation from the other de- de- defense, you know, not just Huggy or Heronic. I thought some other defense were participating on um, – you know whether it's a D dive or going down low, um, and our, I thought our neutral zone was a lot better, which also helps your uh, end breakouts. They help your your puck possession. I, you know I, I don't think we were breaking out as well earlier in the trip, um, and that's why you get shot volume, right? You're just giving the puck back to the other team. I felt we held on to it. Uh, I felt that uh, <clears throat> we had uh, more quick ups with the puck, and uh, you know we advanced each zone a little bit quicker. Um, and it's just not the defense. It's five guys. So I thought it, that that's what i like to see the improvement on. You talked about continuing to get <clears> to the inside. <throat> you guys haven't had many power plays uh, certainly yeah. on the road trip yet. Is that a product of the way you're playing, or is that just something that will find its level here? Yeah, it's a good question. Millsy said we were, we, just before we, we practiced a power play, he said, man, are we ever going to get some power plays? But um, you know what? I, that's a good question. Yeah, I, I'll be honest with you. The last two games, I thought – we went to the Nets better, as best we have all season, to be honest with you. So uh, I think it evens itself out. Um, you know, there wasn't a, there was no penalties till the end in Nashville. Uh, I think the other night we only had one. I forget Tampa. what Tampa Bay, same thing. Um, you know, sometimes you feel like you, you, we should have a couple more, but that's. It, I think it all evens out. I think the referee has been great for us, to be honest. With you. I, I, I'm not complaining about the referee at all. Rick, you talked about before the season a lot of. You know, kind of sending the message that you didn't want to start the year poorly, but you didn't want the guys to put that pressure on themselves and kind of take it day to day. How do you think your club fared at that? Well, I think after the Philly game, um, sometimes you know, if you're after, you know, you have a game like that early in the season, maybe the history of the team in the last bunch of years, guys, the next game they're tight. I didn't feel that. I felt you know we were a little bit better in Tampa. That's a good sign, you know that. Uh, they know that they didn't play well. Um, we address some things, and sometimes you get tight 
and I didn't see that. And I thought that, like I said, I thought the players did a good job. Like we, we our us coaches, other than the t- like the game plan or teaching, we stayed away from, them, let them figure a few things out. I think that was big. That you know we're not always in their faces, because uh, I played the game too. I don't want to, you know, you don't want a coach's voice in your ear every day. And I think it's important that they took over the, the dresser. How important is that resilience and having the opportunity to show that early in the year? Because you're not going to have a great game all 82. You're going to have the odd game that you don't like. But I would assume for you guys, in terms of your process, it's how you respond and build coming out of a game like that. And when you look at the way the rest of the road trip went, it seemed like you got better as each game went on. Yeah, I, I look at it this, and <clears throat> I'm not going to name players, but a couple guys I didn't, you know, maybe there's a chunk of guys that didn't have a good game. I thought they played better the next game. That's what I like. You know, we're all going to have bad games. We're all going to be not there, whether it's physically or mentally. But can you correct it? It's the guys that go three, four, five games making the same mistakes and they're not into it. I didn't see that. I saw the guys that corrected it right away. That's a good sign. Um, to me, that's, good. that's character. Is it kind of strange after a long road trip to come home to back-to-back? Yeah. Yeah, this well, this schedule is it's weird. It's gonna get it's gonna get weirder and weirder. But uh, it's it's you know you got to deal with it, you know. Um, but there's no excuses. I mean, we got back to back at home, you know, coming off a pretty good road trip, and I think the you know the fans will be energized, and hopefully we can we can feed off their energy. With the news today that uh, Shane Pinto's been suspended yeah. for 40 games for gambling, I felt I probably should have asked you. I know it was a long time ago, but did you have any thoughts on? On that situation, <clears throat> yeah, I, I don't even know the deal if it's hockey or whatever. I have no idea about the with the apps and stuff like that. No, but, I mean, with you having obviously having to had to deal with your situation, I mean, is that something that you still think about? Is that no? Because I, I yeah, my wasn't suspended. I, I there was an investigation. It's, that's a whole different thing. Yeah, it, it was obviously I'm back and there was nothing to it. But yeah, no, it's it's uh, hopefully uh, it's not too serious for him. He's a good hockey player. I hope he gets back quick. That is Vancouver Canucks head coach Rick Tockett speaking uh, at length after the team practice and just very, very briefly towards the end there touching on uh, the Shane Pinto situation and, uh, uh, you know, as, as he said, doesn't really see a connection to his not not he wasn't actually suspended, but he was out of the league for a couple of years uh, in the the late 2000s. So I think it was 2006 to 2008. Yeah, widely viewed as a de facto suspension, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was mean, not actually look, suspended. It yet. was a different world, very much a different world, <laughs> especially uh, in terms of sports gambling. Yes. So. Oh no, like I mean, six S- years ago was a different world, let alone sixteen, seventeen years ago. You know what I mean? Eighteen months ago. Yeah, it was a completely different. Honestly, world. like you know the the think of how niche sports gambling content felt on radio two years ago, mm. and now how like how pervasive it is. Yeah, yeah and just ubiquitous, right? Like especially it's absolutely. You're watching everywhere. an NHL broadcast. Bet ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Play now. Although I have seen people say, like, and it's therefore hypocritical for the NHL to have rules in place, which no. I don't disagree. No. I don't agree with. But, but, so I don't think it's hypocritical in any way. I think, like, there the, are things I, that are appropriate in one context that aren't appropriate in another context. But, you know what I mean? But I do think that the league's involvement uh, as a company generating revenue and, and entering partnerships. With various sports mm-hmm. books, especially because their member teams are also doing that. And, um, you know, certain players are also involved, um, you know, whether they're as spokespeople directly. The rules kind of changed on that in yep. Ontario. And, and now they're sort of like auxiliary spokespeople with Chris Pronger sort of doing the heavy lifting. Um, but like NHL players are involved in, in yep. this, too. You know, I, I do think given that and given the appearance that that can create, especially when you have news like 
I mean, I, I wouldn't even call what happened today news, but like incidents like w- what we have today uh, where we have no details on it. Like you need to have codified rules that protect the league from the appearance uh, of suspicion. Yeah. Right. Uh, that, that protect the that maintain the integrity of the game is one that's completely non-compromised by, you know, what's floating around out there. And that's sort of why the uncertainty in how the Pinto thing was handled to me is is a big deal. Um, regardless of what the, 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 you know, in fact, probably a bigger deal. The fact that it's now shrouded in mystery is a bigger deal, almost mm-hmm. certainly, than whatever the actual infraction is. Part of what's going on here is in we're we're in this weird transitional period where it's become rapidly in the open in for the general public, right? Mm-hmm. But we haven't really adjusted what that's going to mean for athletes. We don't know quite yet what it's going to look like for professional athletes and people in the leagues because you remember it wasn't that long ago like the nba at one point had their all-star game in vegas and this was like probably 20 years ago now or something like that not quite and that was like a big deal because leagues were so terrified of having any stigma of gambling associated to them that even to play your all-star game in vegas was like oh whoa that's that's a little risque and now you look at it you know the nfl's in vegas the nhl's in it's vegas. a rush the to... nba's going there it's yeah. like that seems so p- impossibly the quaint. mlb's going there that seems so incredibly quaint to think of the now. vegas sphere is on the new york knicks jersey yeah but like that's the world we were living in where it's like oh we don't even want to like hold a, a, a one-off exhibition in Vegas because right. it's like, ooh, it's gambling. And now the the rule, I think the punishment sometimes and the rules we're seeing for athletes are kind of holdovers from that era where any suggestion of gambling or impropriety, and I'm not saying Pinto's innocent here or whatever. We don't know what he did, but I just think there's still this adjustment where it's like, because like remember the Calvin Ridley thing where it's like he placed a bet on in, in team facilities on another sport. Yeah. And it's like the NFL I even kind had, of. I think he had his own team in parlays though, as I recall. With Ridley. Okay. I think well, that's think Jameson Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because even the NFL has kind of rethought. The, but the NFL has sort of decided that betting in a team facility is a, a, a less significant infraction. Yes. And then they've stiffened the penalties for betting on football. They're really trying to get their players. Like, if you gamble, it's one thing, but you can't gamble on football is really sort of the message they're trying to. And I think to, that's totally appropriate. Uh, the, more than appropriate. But it just that's used how it to should be, be. It used to be that, like, any involvement with gambling was like a huge no-no for players and i think we're still trying to figure out how do we get now that it's out in the open and everyone's doing it that's probably not a tenable standard but what is the new standard And i think the nhl it's incumbent on them to work through that proactively as they haven't already done unfortunately but i I i just think transparency needs to govern you know we talk about vegas like this monolithic like the you know vegas knows right Uh, vegas says this. I use it all the time, right? I'm like, well, this is Vegas' yeah. opinion about um, the Canucks. This is what we can learn from the odds because I think they're interesting, but fundamentally it's an efficient market. Like Vegas isn't one monolith. It's, you know, hundreds of thousands of betters and um, you know, dozens of books of odds makers. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, effectively using the best publicly available information to come up with the with a mark with market prices for a variety of different outcomes and you know, I, I think it's really important if you're going to permit that, like if you're going to permit the senators to have bet 99 on their helmet, you know, I, I think it's important that you have rules about exactly what players can and can't do. I think it makes sense to forbid staff from from gambling on hockey. I, I personally don't gamble on hockey mm-hmm. because of this because of this reason. I don't want anyone to think 
that I've that like anything you're doing is well, yeah. and and I personally don't want to have that moment where, you know, I I said this on the morning show, but like when Casey DeSmith left the ice first at Florida Panthers, uh, the Canucks morning skate ahead of the Florida Panthers game, I tweeted that DeSmith had left the ice early, and the and the money line moved, like the money line it went off the board and the money line moved if you were checking various public apps. I think I'm the only guy who had it out on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Well. I don't want to ever be in a position where I'm like, oh, I better buy this at this price before telling people. Like, that would be a horrible conflict of interest, a horrible way to do my job, and I wouldn't be serving my audience. So I, I think it's just easiest to be like, I don't ever bet on hockey. All good. And I'm also contractually the, forbidden from doing it. But the, the, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. I wouldn't. I never bet on it beforehand either. I, I just think you need to have set rules and you need to be transparent about it, and especially when there's – some sort of an infraction that causes a player to be suspended. I think an accounting of exactly why is important to have out there to protect the integrity of the game, pure and simple. Because I was trying to think of, let's say it was the, although as I understand it, there's no no actual black and white rule against betting in team facilities, even on other sports, right? But there's an implication that maybe the league sent a memo. Yeah. Sort of outlining it. But like, hey, it's not publicly available to to us. But I was trying to think of like, okay, what's the what's the rationale for having that rule? Because to me, it feels like a little ridiculous to say, okay, hey, you could put a bet on the Super Bowl, but just drive two minutes away from the team facility before you do yeah, it. Yeah, it's arbitrary. It's so arbitrary. I was trying to think like, okay, maybe if I was trying to build the case for the rule, you don't want guys hanging around after practice on their phones talking about betting because it might lead to like a temptation to go to hockey or something, right? Like that's the but that's the best case uh, I can make I, yeah. for it. And that's, and that's, but it feels too it feels that's too flimsy. invasive and too way too strict for that to be the for this to be the punishment for you placed a totally inoffensive bet that wouldn't call the integrity of the sport into question whatsoever, but you did it at our team facility. Yeah. Forty one games for that, like ah man, yeah, that's, I don't know that. Well, that's that's why like the worst part about this is that it doesn't add up, which causes a reasonable mind. To speculate darkly. And that's not fair to Pinto. I don't think that's good for the game. And so that's sort of where my criticism of, of this would sort of center on is is like I, I find it hard to imagine that anything could have happened that's worse than the uncertainty around how this was rolled out, the PA's involvement, the fact that it's a negotiated agreement, and the fact that everyone's just sort of pointing at the suspension and being like, Well, the the you know, the book would have really fallen on him if and it's like, yeah, I mean you know that's that, that's hard for the public to take on faith mm-hmm. and and look better confidence is a real thing i mean you're seeing the nfl investigate the falcons for not reporting bijan uh, robinson's injury before he played only one play um having having woken up really, with a headache that really screwed me by the way on sunday in fantasy well but the big zero from bijan but it's tough but there's a reason for her. The re- there's a reason the NHL has a reporting protocol that's hyper-transparent and that they investigate and find teams for violating, right? In the NHL, meanwhile, you can, you know, just like randomly a star player doesn't take the ice for warm-ups, you know, or or your goaltender's not mm-hmm. announced until 30 minutes before the game. Well, that makes the market less efficient. That makes betters less willing to uh, significantly invest in, in your product. Uh, ultimately, that's going to take eyeballs away from your game. People who may end up being fans down the line for X, Y, Z reason. Um, to me, this is part and parcel with it. Like, there's a level of transparency that the market requires if you're going to try and leverage sports gambling, not only for partnership revenue, um, not only 
you know, but 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 as like a tool to get people interested in the sport in mm -hmm. watching your game. I think the business reality of contemporary pro sports requires a level of transparency that in so many different ways, and we've seen it multiple times this week, both in how the Pinto punishment was handled, but also in the way that the new NHL edge stats were rolled out. Like the NHL doesn't seem to prioritize transparency in the way that the other professional sports leagues are doing. And, and I think that's a liability in, in terms of the NHL's sort of growth potential going forward uh quickly here and I, we got a little sidetracked on this but it, it's a i find it a fascinating story and i think it is going to be a massive story for the nhl but i know uh, frank saravalli at daily faceoff reported that uh, he says sources told daily faceoff that the league's investigation centered around a sweep of gambling partners that revealed a pinto connection to a third party better which is interesting but it also raises to me, a lot of questions that I understand Cervelli might not be might just not have the information to answer, but like that's an interesting tidbit, an interesting breadcrumb, but it still doesn't satisfy like the the no. big questions, which is what exactly happened. Well, here. and it, the, I mean the framing poses more, and, exactly. and that's not on Cervelli. That's no, the no, best no, no. information like, we have. Yeah. but you know, I mean that could be everything from a friend accessing your account to. Um, you know, feeding information to a bookie, right? And there, those are massively different. Like the 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 gulf there yeah. in terms of the ethics involved are, are, is massive. So, but both would be covered under that wording. Uh, again, I just think the NHL should have prioritized transparency here, and I, I think the fact that they didn't. Uh, makes this a bigger story in some ways than it needs to be. Um, thanks to everyone for listening. Tomorrow, Canucks game day, back-to-back -back games, the Blues Friday, the Rangers on Saturday. Hey, four and two start. Let's see if they can keep it going now at home. Of course, uh, we will be on the air live from Rogers Arena to get you set up for that one. So make sure you tune in tomorrow for all of your game day coverage. Uh, it is Canucks Talk. Thanks for listening here on Sportsnet 650.